Okay, we're going to cover chapter 9 of the book of Proverbs tonight, but before we cover the book of chapter 9, I want you to turn to your Bibles and I want you to look at chapter 10. Look at the beginning of chapter 10 and tell me, what does it say at the very beginning of chapter 10? It says, the Proverbs of Solomon. So do you know what that means? That the Proverbs of Solomon actually begins with chapter 10. So what have we been doing for nine chapters? Well, sometimes preachers need a good warm-up. And they want to tell you what they want to tell you. And then they tell you, and then they tell you what they told you. So Solomon, uh, as he wrote this, he wanted us to make sure that we saw the need for wisdom. And at this time in Solomon's life, the Holy Spirit was leading him to write and to declare. And so there is a lot to say about wisdom. And we're going to look at some of those things and actually kind of a conclusion of the preliminary part of the book of Proverbs is, is the end of chapter 9. And then beginning in chapter 10, it actually begins to be uh, more of the Proverbs and it jumps around a lot. The subject matter jumps around a lot. Uh, so it's going to be interesting how the Lord's going to get us through all of this, but we, we will find a way. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. It's an important message tonight from Proverbs chapter 9. Lord, we love you. We bless the name of the Lord tonight. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and direct us, that you would teach us tonight, and Lord, you would speak to our hearts. I thank you for the privilege and the honor of preaching your word. What an honor this is, Lord, to preach your word. And Lord, I ask for your help. I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that, that breaks the yoke, that opens our heart, that teaches us to understand. And Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you that if you would not just speak through me, but you would also speak into the hearts of every person tonight. That you have a reason and a plan and a purpose for every person being here tonight. Nothing is by chance. And I thank you, Lord, that as we submit ourselves to the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us, show us, teach us. We love you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, what we want to do is, I, I wrote in your notes, and I just want to show it to you. What, what we've done is it just put a just kind of a one-sentence recap for each of the chapters that we've covered. The first chapter, chapter 1, wisdom saves us from violent people. Now, I know there were some other things in there, but that encapsulated that chapter. Chapter 2, wisdom enters our heart and gives us peace. Uh, chapter 3, Wisdom improves us financially. So it talks about some finances. Remember Proverbs chapter 3 where it says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all that God has blessed you with. And then in chapter 4, wisdom uh, elevates our place in society. It talks about how we are in society. Uh, chapter 5, wisdom shows us God's plan for sex, the correct way, 
not the way of the world, but God's plan. Uh, Chapter 6, wisdom uh, gets us off off the couch (laughs) and helps us to accomplish our goals. Get up and let's go. Stop dreaming about it, thinking about it. Let's do it, what God has called you to do. Uh, Chapter 7, wisdom then protects us uh, from temptation. And then chapter 8, we talked about that last week. It opens our eyes to the wonders of creation. Remember that last week? We talked about how uh, there's a glimpse into creation, how amazing God is in all of creation. And then tonight, wisdom calls us to make a choice. So as the conclusion of this portion of Proverbs, he, he uses a really unusual tactic, and that is he paints an analogy picture, and the picture is of two houses. And he's basically saying, you have to decide which house you're going to. You can't sit on the fence. You can't go to both places. You have to decide one or the other. And the way he frames this is kind of interesting. The first six verses talk about the house of wisdom. The last six verses talk about the house of folly. And the in-between, sandwiched between, is a warning of staying away from scorners, the danger of a scorner. And so as we read this, I want you to kind of see it in that light. First six verses, he's just welcoming us, and he says some things about wisdom that are kind of unique and different. But the reason he says what he does the way he does is to frame it against what he says about folly in the last six verses. So let's read it. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed with wines and set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come and eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live and learn to use good judgment. Now, obviously, before we go further, I just want to let you understand, he's painting a picture of an analogy about a house, and wisdom is the one who's calling us to this house. And so he uses some phrases there that he's not talking about a real house. Uh, Everything in there, he's painting a picture that tries to give us the opposite of the house of folly that we'll look at uh, in the last six verses. Now let's look at that middle part, the sandwich part. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Now sometimes it's, you know, some of the translations use the word mocker. Some of the translations use the word scorner. Same word, just different translations uh, use a different word. Anybody who, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise, they'll be wiser. 
teach the righteous, they will learn even more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. We've seen that verse before in Proverbs. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you'll be the one to suffer. Now, the last three. uh, The woman named Folly is brash. She is ignorant, (laughs) and she doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. Now, that's kind of similar to the other house. And when wisdom, remember, is overlooking, but there's some differences. I want you to try and catch the differences between the two. She sits in in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. How little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of the grave. So it's an interesting analogy. It's an interesting portrait of two houses and the houses are different. So what I want us to look at is I want us to kind of look at it in, in a way of what are the differences and how do we frame this? As, as how, what are the differences between the house of wisdom and the house of folly? The first thing I can see, and that is, catch this, wisdom builds her house where folly just sits in the house and expects us to be impressed. Now, right there he's telling us, you know, to have wisdom, we're going to have to work at it. This is not something, you know, he's not talking about building a real house. He's talking about the fact that to seek God's wisdom and to obtain the wisdom of God means it will require some work. If you want to understand God's word, you will need to do some study. If you depend upon what you get at church for your study of God's word, I want to tell you, you're short. You're not getting enough. You will never understand truly the riches of God's word until you make the decision that you want to seek the Lord for yourself. Spend time with God. Spend time in his word. Wisdom builds her house. She works at it. She is not like folly. Folly just sits back, sits in her house, and thinks everything is going to be there. And that is the problem so many times. People expect things to be given to them. They expect things to happen. And they think, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to sit in a church and somehow I'm going to end up being a pretty good Christian. That's like going out and sitting in your garage and believing you're going to turn into a car. It doesn't happen. You, just being in church does not make you a good Christian. It doesn't make you a good person. It just means you sit in church. Now, can you learn? Yes. Can you, uh, you know, and I think this is one of the great things about the local body of Christ, and that is uh, we build one another. 
We help one another. Iron sharpens iron. We, we help one another. We encourage one another. You know, we, uh, I was talked to Matt Carnes. He uh, talked about the Monday night they had the men's meeting. They said they had over, almost had a packed house with the lighthouse. Had, I think he said over 50 uh, young boys that were there with their fathers. Uh, had over 100 combined uh, men, I don't know, 125 or something like that total. Just And he said the exciting thing was seeing those boys looking up to their daddies, seeing their daddies worshiping God, seeing their daddies hearing the word of God. Now, probably those kids didn't understand everything from Titus that he taught on, but they did see their fathers worshiping God. And I want to tell you, this is a way we learn. You go beyond just coming out on Sunday morning. Uh, but you go beyond that and you hunger for God's Word. That's why he's using this analogy. Wisdom builds her house. But it is folly. It is, it is a uh, foolish notion to think that just all this is going to come to us. And I, we heard last night, I think uh, Tina Trosclair started the ladies' Bible study last night. I think she said they had 107 ladies there last night. Uh, the brand new Bible study. Uh, that's exciting to me. Men are hungry for God. The ladies are hungry for God. And that's what it takes. If we're going to have the wisdom of God and walk in His ways, it takes more than just sitting back and think, well, this is just going to happen. It doesn't. Wisdom builds her house. The second thing that I see there, and that is wisdom, you catch this, wisdom offers us meat and wine. The whole banquet, but then notice if you notice what is mentioned in the last six verses, uh, folly offers bread and water. I want to tell you, you you get slim pickings when you follow the way of the world. It is not much, and I want to tell you, the banquet table of the Lord is full and it's rich. It is full. God. You know, and I hear people say, you know, oh, I don't want to be one of them Christians, get all excited about God, all the things you have to give up, and it's, surely it's not very fun. You know, all the fun is living for the devil. I want to tell you, it is exciting and fulfilling to serve God and to know God and to love God and to be about His purposes. Every day you can get up and you're excited about making a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. It is not dull. It is not boring. It's just the opposite. And here he's trying to say, the wisdom sets a banquet. There is a whole banqueting table filled with fullness. And, and I don't know if you caught it. Notice this where it said in the first verse, it said that wisdom builds a home or house with seven columns. And that's unheard of in the Middle East. It's, you know, only... Uh, you know, kings and, and the, the richest people would have a home with seven columns. And so the picture there is that when you come to him, you get the very finest. And the seven is probably a, a number of completion, the fullness of God, the completion of God. And here, the banqueting table, God is saying, if you will come to the Lord and if you will accept what Jesus wants to give you, you have more than enough. But if you follow the way of the world, you've got slim pickings. You're going to have bread and water. 
And, and the sad thing of it is, is that the world tries to portray it as this is wonderful, but it's not. And that kind of comes into the, the third thing that I see here, the third analogy. Wisdom deals honestly with us. Where folly makes glamorous promises that can never be fulfilled. And that's the way the world is. It makes all these wonderful promises. You'll have all this wonderful fun and this will be great, but it's empty. It's not fulfilling. Uh, and the promises the world gives can never be fulfilled. You know, gives this picture, you know, you, if you'll do this, you know, you'll be slim. <laughs> then you'll be beautiful and you'll be rich. And none of those things are true. And certainly you don't get slim. I, I guarantee you that. Uh, none of that works. But the whole point is, is that when you serve God, when you walk in His ways, it is full and it's rich. And, and God is honest with you. It's not like God told us, hey, you come to, come to the Lord and everything's going to be sweet and easy and peaceable and you won't have any problem. No, He told us exactly the way it is. In this world, you will have tribulation. It is not going to be easy. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus said, if you follow me, if they hated me, they'll hate you. For a servant is not greater than his master. So they hate him, they're going to hate us. So it's not like he made all these big glamorous promises that it's going to be wonderful neat. No, it's not. But it is better. And everything the world offers is empty and hollow. And the last comparison that I see there, and that is wisdom's followers live more abundantly. And folly's followers, that's a hard, say folly's followers five times in a row. I'm telling you what, that's not easy. Folly's followers die a death they don't even realize is coming. And that's so true. And, and you see that analogy in the last verses there. They're going to die. Debt, she offered, look at the last few verses, Chuck. Verse 18, but little do they know that the dead are there. And her guests are in the depths of the graves. She welcomes in folly, the world, Satan, welcomes and says, oh man, this is great. And, and if you do something in secret, it's going to be a lot of fun. But what he's, Satan is really offering is death. He doesn't want, it, want you to know what he's really offering. And, you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder, why do so many people choose the wrong house? Why do they choose that house of folly? We're going to ask you that question in a moment, but number two, uh, why are you warned to avoid a scorner or a mocker? Anybody want to try that question before I give you what I think? Why do you think he warns us? He just says, don't have anything to do with them. Avoid them. And that's not just here in Proverbs uh, 9. Throughout Proverbs, we're going to see this time and time and time and time again where we are warned do not rebuke, do not correct a scorner. You can correct a person who loves God, and they'll get wiser, and you'll, you'll be blessed for it. But don't scorn, don't warn or correct a, a scorner or a marker. Anybody, what do you think, Penny? Penny? 
Okay? All right, I agree with that. Why else do you think he warns us to stay away? Don't, don't have anything to do with them. Any ideas? Say that again. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same idea, yeah. yeah. What do you think, Charlie? My experience with scorners or mockers, those types of people, and I, I list in the next thing we're going to talk about some traits of, of a scorner. But what will, if you rebuke or really even have anything to do with that person, I just want to tell you, whatever you say to them, they will take what you said and they will use that against you. They will use whatever you say, as innocent as it might be, they will use that as their angle of attack. They will use, you know, you might even say something good to them. But they'll twist that and turn it to be something totally different. Because, again, a scorner is not a simple person. Now, the Bible does mention a simple person in the first six verses. But simple is just a person who's without understanding. But a scorner, if you define it, it is a person who hates God and who desires to hurt the kingdom of God and desires to hurt anyone who has anything to do with the kingdom of God. If there is strife in a church, most likely a scorner or mocker is somewhere behind it. Now, that scorner may not even attend your church, but they will seek to attack and plant seeds of hatred in members of that church that they seek to hurt. And so they may not ever set foot inside that church, but they will cause strife in that church because it is their desire to harm the kingdom of God. Look at, and I listed these things uh, just, and this comes not just from Proverbs 9, but through, really throughout the uh, book of Proverbs and a couple other places. But just trying to get some characteristics. First thing I noticed, he's easily offended. Y'all have any friends who are easily offended? Is there anybody in here who's easily offended? Don't raise your hand if you are. You know, remember I said, remember what I told you about Sunday morning? <laughs> That's the person that, uh, so, so I went to Outback. <laughs> I wasn't about to go to uh, Copeland's. So I went to Outback, and we're eating dinner, and some guy walks from one end of Outback I'm all the way to the other end, walks up to me and says, could I have your email? I, I believe you've offended me. <laughs> And he was joking, and he said it was the first time he's been in church, you know, <laughs> and he hears that. He decides to come up and do that. So anyway, he's crazy. Anyway, uh, second thing, he thinks he is above others. 
Now, if this sounds like it's like any presidential candidate, please, it's not meant to, it's not meant to be anywhere like that. When challenged, he scoffs, he mocks, he threatens, and he puts others down. When you can't deal with facts, you call people names. You just threaten, you intimidate. D, he refuses any form of correction. I want you to look at Revelation 3.19. There are a lot of verses about uh, uh, correction, but what a powerful verse. He's talking about one of the churches. uh, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. You know, if, if he loves you, he'll discipline you. And that puts us squarely on the side that we have to learn how to receive correction. And a scorner, a mocker, will receive no correction whatsoever. And there's actually a proverb that says to rebuke a scorner is like grabbing a dog and rubbing his ears. Now I want to tell you, if you take a dog... If you want to get that dog to bite you, just grab his ears and go like that. He does not, they're not going to like that. It's a good way to get bit. And the same thing, this idea is the same thing. A scorner, you don't want to rebuke them. You don't want to try to correct them. You don't want to try and uh, bring any correction in their life. And really the reasoning behind that is that God is saying he's dangerous. Now, when I'm using noun he, it could be a woman. It could, it has, you know, it could be man or woman. It's, it, it's a person who is dangerous, and you are better off staying away from that person and certainly do not feel like it is your place to go put them in their place because all you're going to do is bring a lot of grief to yourself. Has anybody ever tried to correct? are chasing a scorner or mocker and regretted it. Anybody in here? Oh, my wife's got her hand up. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it, you, you dive into, it's, it's like, it's like a, I remember I went to a, a camp one time. It was a boys' camp. And I remember there was this kid, and he said, you know, you can throw a rock at a wasp nest, and if you'll hold your breath, the wasp will not sting you. And a bunch of us kids were young and stupid. I didn't throw the rock, but I stood there and held my breath. And this other kid threw the rock, And thank God he was a little closer than I was. But I was holding my breath. But when I saw them wash come after him, I was out of there. I forget all about this holding my breath. I could tell this guy was full of baloney. Well, when you rebuke a scorner, it's the same thing like stirring up a wash nest. It's the same thing. Now, it brings up an interesting question. Uh, Did I get all the characteristics? Uh, Yeah. The other, and that is, uh, he relishes conflicts and arguments. They love arguments. But it brings up a good question. Okay, let's, let's just present this. 
you have this person and they're a, they're a scorner or a mocker. And so you say, okay, what do we do? We don't want to rebuke them. We don't want to scorn. But they need Jesus. So how do we minister to a scorner? How do we tell a scorner or a mocker about Jesus without getting stung? Okay. What else? Pray. What's that? Pray for them. And you know, that is the key. I, I think example, yes. Pray for them that their heart would change. And, and when I'm praying for a person like that, I'm praying for them to have eyes to see the truth about others and themselves. Because they have been blinded. They think they're God's gifts to mankind and they can't do any wrong and everybody else is wrong. And so they need to have eyes that are open to the reality of who they really are, who we really all are, and how desperately wicked we are and how we need Jesus and we are weak and we're, you know, there was, and we're ready and open to receive God's correction in our life, which is the opposite of the scorner. So praying for them, to me, is the most powerful and really the only practical thing we can do because even if you walk up to them and start telling them how much you love them and how they need Jesus and you want to tell them about Jesus, I want to tell you, they're going to use it against you. And it goes right back to what you talked about, and that is throwing pearls before the swine. There is a time to share Jesus with people, folks, and there is a time not to share Jesus. There's a time to hold back and to wait and wait until God grips their heart and changes their heart and brings them to the point to where they are open and receptive to the gospel. And sometimes when you present the gospel at the wrong time and the wrong way to the wrong person, it really can backfire on you. So, I, you know, this is where we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and obedient to the Holy Spirit. I can't give you this ironclad golden rule that do this every time. But I can say we are warned many times about dealing with or rebuking or uh, coming against a scorner. Because you will only bring grief to yourself. And, and from personal experience, whatever you say, even if it's nice, they turn it around and use it against you. And so it becomes the old thing, the less you say to them, <laughs> the less ammunition you give them to use against you. So you actually come, a lot, come across a whole lot better just not saying anything to them at all. And then just praying for them. And, you know, you can tell when someone's, their heart has changed. Hey, the prodigal son, when he, he was off the sowing his wild oats in the foreign land, he was at it probably when he left, nobody could have told him anything. And the father, it doesn't give any appearance that the father tried to stop him. He just let him go. Because when you're headstrong and you want to do your thing and you don't want to listen to anybody, then your best is to get out of the way and pray for them. But I want to tell you, when they turn and their heart is softened, 
I mean, even when he's coming back, remember what he's playing over in his mind? He's, he's of course, when he came to himself, he said, you know, my, my, the servants at my dad's house who feed the pigs, you know, they're eating better than I am. I'm eating the husk that the pigs turn down. So it would be better at my dad's house. And if I could just be a servant at my dad's house, I'd be a lot better off. And so he started coming back, and he's rehearsing in his mind how he's going to repent. He's going to say he's so sorry, and he wished he could, you know, come back and be a servant. But before he could ever get all that out, his father was running to him. What a picture of God. You know, he, God knows when your heart is turned and you have a heart for him. And he knows when your heart is softened. And the heart is, the heart of the father running to you if your heart is changed. And that's the picture he's trying to give us. And for a, so don't give up on that scorner. I'm not trying to tell you to give up on them and, and write them off. I'm just simply saying you've got to pray and let God bring them to that turnaround place in their mind. You know, the next thing I, I just want to ask you, and that is, what is the choice we have to make? If there's a choice between the house of wisdom and the house of folly, what is really the choice that he's calling us to make? I know these are analogies, but what is God really saying to us? What is he telling us that we need to make a choice? Yeah. We need to choose life and not death. And it really is life or death. The choice we have is a choice between life or death. In, in reality, it's a choice between Satan and God. And sometimes you say, well, is it really that stark a choice? Yes, it is. You either choose God or you choose Satan. You can paint it a lot of colors. You can look at it a lot of different ways. But really, when it comes down to it, it's Satan or God. It's life or death, folly or wisdom. You have to make that choice. I, I just want to ask you a real simple question. Why is it we make wrong choices? Why is it we choose the house of folly rather the, the, the things God offers to us, the Jesus that he offers us is so amazing and so wonderful. Why does anyone choose the way of Satan, the way of the world, the way of folly? Helen? Blindness? Rebellion. Okay? Yeah? Why do we make wrong choices like that? What do you think, Ed? Yeah. Okay, so it's the natural way. Yes. Yeah, and everybody else says it's wonderful, and, and so we think, well, they all say it's good, must be good. What do you think? 
Okay. Deception. I agree with that. I think there is a death. And who is deceiving? It's Satan. And he's the master deceiver. Yes, up there. He gave us free will and he, and he won't take it back. And we can make that choice. How many of you, have you, how many of you here have ever made the choice to go to Folly's house? You've been there before. You visited with her in her house. How was it? What's that? Yeah, and you know, and the enemy tries to convince you you're having a good time and it's fun, but it has death behind it. It may have the element of fun, but it's death. Anybody else? Why we make that choice? Yes, Penny? Okay, yeah, I agree with that. I think there's some of that. I think a lot of good answers here. Yes. I'm sorry, down here in the pink. A hardened heart. Wow. Well, let me follow up on that. What causes our heart to be hardened? I do agree that if you have a hardened heart, you will go in the wrong direction, go to the wrong house, follow after the ways of the world, and begin believing a bunch of those lies. But what is it that gives us a hardened heart? Charlotte? Okay. And I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And if you say no, and you keep saying no, and you keep saying no, every time you reject God's call, there's like a searing, I always see it like a, uh, you know, when you work hard, you get calluses on your hand. And it's just an extra layer of skin. And that's a defense mechanism that your body builds up. If you do a lot of hard manual labor, then you might skin it up. It might even get blistered. But your skin tells itself, you know, if this is going to be area is going to be under a lot of use, we need to build up some defenses and build up thicker skin there and that's what happens spiritually holy spirit speaks to you and you harden your heart and you say no no holy spirit i want to do what i want to do i'm going to do it my way there's a thickening like a callus goes over your heart and the problem of it is if you stay long enough and you listen to yourself and reject God's spirit long enough that hard heart becomes calloused 
and you stop listening to the Holy Spirit. And at some point, and I want to say this carefully, it's not that God ever gives up on you, but He will stop speaking to you. His Spirit will quieten up. He'll draw, He'll woo you, He'll speak to you, He'll work. He's trying to get you, and every time he does, tries to get your attention, you say, no, 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 I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. No, no, God, my way. I don't want your way. You do that enough, finally, the Holy Spirit says, you want your own way? All right. I'll give you your own way. Remember in Psalms it says, he hardened their heart and gave them leanness to their soul. They cried out for meat. They wanted that meat. And he gave them that meat, but he gave leanness to their soul. And so there are times that God will just back up. And, he, and now, before he was wooing you and drawing you, his Holy Spirit was trying to speak to you and his voice was trying to grip your heart and he was using circumstances to try and draw you. But if you harden your heart long enough, I just want to tell you, God will use a new way to get your attention. It's the old two-by-four way. Now, I, if, if you want to take a choice, I'm just going to tell you, that wooing, that soft voice of the Holy Spirit, that is the way to respond. You don't really want the two-by-four way because God will get your attention, and the soft, still voice is the best way, but if you harden your heart long enough, He will get your attention, and He will, he will use circumstances that will hit you upside the head and wake you up like a two-by-four, and then you're saying, oh, God, what have I done? What am I doing? What am I doing here? And I just want to encourage you, don't be there. Don't go there. Listen to the Holy Spirit while he's speaking to you. You know, even while I'm speaking right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to some hearts here tonight, and he's been trying to get your attention in several ways. He's, he's, he's spoken to you, a still small voice. He's used circumstances in your life to try and get your attention. He's used some people who are trying to speak to you. He will use the preacher sometimes. He will use Bible study lessons. He'll use your private prayer time or study of God's Word to try and speak to you. But I just want to tell you, there's some people here tonight that you're close to hardening your heart. close to hardening your heart and the Holy Spirit is saying to some of you tonight that you're in that danger zone I call that danger zone that place where he stops speaking to you and stop wooing you and he starts trying to get your attention in other ways the problem is when those things start happening then you're crying out oh God what what's going on in my life What's going on in your life? He's using a whole nother method to get your attention. And what does God want? He wants your heart. It's not that he wants to get you in church. 
You get in church because you've given him your heart. So he's not after getting you in church. He's after you and your heart. He wants you to love him with your whole heart, to give him all of your heart. That's what he wants. And you know what's funny is God wants that more than anything else. And sometimes we, we do the let's make a deal, God. And we give him, we'll serve him. We'll do some good things for him. And serving him and doing good things are good, but that's not what he really wants. He wants you. He wants your heart. All of those things become substitutes for what he really wants. And what he really wants is your heart. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. You know, the call of Proverbs 9 is the call to make a choice. Which way are you going to go? Heaven or hell? Satan or God? Jesus or the world? Life or death? He's speaking to your hearts. And, and I, again, I just feel impressed with the Holy Spirit that he, he wants me to say to you that he has been trying to get some of your attention in so many different ways and you're close to hardening your heart. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know that today, tonight, while God is still drawing you and calling you and wooing you, He wants you to say, yes, Lord. I want to give you my heart. I'm just going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and and just simply say that if there's somebody, and I, I want to give you that opportunity. If you know God has been speaking to your heart and you have been resisting him from giving him your whole heart. You try to give the Lord this and you'll give him that and you'll give him this. But what he really wants is your heart. He wants all of your heart. And if you would be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm just going to ask you just to just to stand up and join with me, and I want to pray with you. You just sense he's calling you, drawing you, and he wants you to surrender to him. Anybody, just stand up. I want to pray with you. Yeah, I see. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? Just a couple of people standing. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Takes a lot of courage. But again, I just, I'm just asking you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If you feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, tonight, he wants you just to give him your heart and say, Lord, I've, I've been resisting what you want to do in my life, and I just want to give you my heart and give you free reign in my life. Anybody else? Yes, anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Just a total surrender. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of saying, Lord, I'm going to stop arguing with you. I'm just going to accept your way and your will in my life. But sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. But God has a good plan for our life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me if you're standing. I'm just going to ask you to pray out loud with me. And if you want to, even if you're still seated and you want to pray this prayer with me, 
just a prayer of surrender, you can join with us. Let's pray it out, Lord. Pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart, Lord. I give you everything. I don't hold anything back. I give you my life. Do with me whatever you will, Lord. Thank you, Father. Your way is better than my way. Your plan is better than my plan. I submit to you, Lord. Take my life and do whatever you want to. I give you my heart, Lord. I will yield to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord. Amen. All right. Proverbs chapter 10 next week. Amen. Now we really get into the book of Proverbs chapter 10. I love you. Y'all are dismissed. Amen. Great to have y'all tonight. I love the book of Proverbs.